Before we go ahead with this episode, let me ask you some questions. What was your biggest financial goal for this year? Putting down a deposit for your home, buying a BMW, going on a vacation, or preparing for retirement if you're that old? All brilliant and valid dreams. But valid doesn't equal easy. Sometimes you get stuck. You start to doubt your goals, their value, and your ability to make your dream come true. Here's where CowdyWise comes in. CowdyWise is a digital savings and investment platform that makes it easier to help you plan a sustainable path to your financial goals. It's an app that enables you to save and invest in a convenient way. You earn up to 15% on your savings. No penalties, no fees. You can save as little as you want. I've had the co-founder of CowdyWise as a guest on this platform. I also use the product. It is simple and efficient. To get started, you can download the app at cowdywise.com. The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. More startups are failed than are successful. It's, it's kind of like there's the whole content around startups, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, all the advice. I was really frustrated with the whole process. I said, look, I want to do something that I really enjoy. I don't need to raise any money and I can just kind of get going straight away. A lot of the times, if you bring a business to an investor that the technical basis is not immediately present, you cannot raise money. And so a lot of people build platform, not because they need to build the platform, but because they want to raise money and say, hey, we're a tech company. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. My guest today is Frederick Obazi. He is a co-founder at Hypeboss, a platform that connects top-tier influencers with businesses looking to build a brand and expand their reach. Hypeboss is what I call PR agency as a platform. I first got to know Frederick when he pitched his previous startup to me in 2015. Then I was an investor at Potential VC and he was the founder of Study Search, a university aggregator and application platform that enables African students to discover and apply to universities in the UK. I was fascinated with the business, given my experience of working as an academic in the UK, where I also had some responsibilities for encouraging and inspiring African students to apply to our university. Despite my interest, I did not invest in the business at that time. Frederick later on left the startup to do what he 
is doing now. In this episode, Frederick and I discussed the difficulties of raising capital for an African startup, why it's okay for founders to quit their original idea to do something else, the risk of underestimating cash flow and sales cycles in startup, the limitation of technology in disrupting existing business models, and why it's cool to build a profitable business without raising money. So welcome, Frederick. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Dustin. Your story is quite interesting. You originally came to Nigeria, although you are of Nigerian descent and you, you grew up in the UK, but you came over to Nigeria in your adulthood and you you heard about or you had a, a very good hunch about the opportunities in the continent and Nigeria specifically and you felt that you can make an impact and build something and you came uh, with loads of assumptions and some of them were not true some of them were not validated mm-hmm. properly and then um, th- the market actually showed you what it was made of rather than you trying to change the market so talk me through uh that journey and but most importantly the key things that you learned that were maybe true in the uk if you are running a business in the uk but are not true in Nigeria. And, and that's the main focus I wanted to actually go on. Yeah, I mean, not going to bore you with too much of the journey. I think there's a lot of, of stuff out there already. But I guess moving back to Nigeria, um, it's not something I, I, I actually thought of when I was younger. It's only when I got older and, and kind of I left university and I worked at a place called Rocket Internet um, for the Samware Brothers. And I saw kind of like the, the ventures that they were doing in, in Africa. And that really intrigued me. And I, I said, hey, I'm of Nigerian descent. I go back with my family i'm kind of familiar of some sorts with 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 nigeria and, and and lagos at least and so hey why why not why not these 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 guys these somewhere brothers german guys are in nigeria uh, setting up jumia and, and and the different startups they had why not why not me go and set up a, a company in nigeria and, and um i guess the the predication at the time was just being a student a student loan um student sorry <laughs> Um, student, what do they call it? Student discount business was was booming in the UK. I guess right. there was a lot of companies, and I and I said to myself, "Hey, we can do the same thing in Nigeria. Nigeria is a rapid market for students. So there's 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 millions of of, of students in Nigeria, um, different universities, and, and why not? Let's create this. And so I guess without going into too much of the details, uh, we raised some venture capital. Um, um, we had a good user base, but I guess w- one of the things that you learn that's very, very different about Nigeria is just uh, talking about your question, the assumptions, is that everybody is is kind of like super tech savvy and people use their phone to buy things. And and, and th- that was one of the assumptions that, that I made. And just at the time, um, 2014, 2013, uh, we quickly realized that um, people were just about kind of like making calls with their phones and sending text message and just basic things. Um, and, and, and having a, a student discount application was just something that was too advanced for the market. And so students would love to use the discounts, but they were like, hey, I can't download this this mobile phone. It's, uh, this mobile app is taking too much of my data um, every time I try to use it. Is there no like normal card that you guys have? Is there like not a service? That I can just use offline, and so that that was one of the assumptions, I guess, not understanding the difference between the way technology is used in Africa mm-hmm. and the way technology is used in, in in kind of like the UK. Other important things were just kind of like raising venture capital. You think, hey, we've got a bit of money, let's get an office, kind of like let's build a team, and just the assumption that hey, it's it's really easy. Like I guess in in in, in the UK, you'll just think 
look, let's let's get an internet provider. Let's if you have electricity and power already, that's not things that you think about. And just coming back to Nigeria and, and setting up an office there, um, we quickly realized that a lot of our venture money was going on overheads and generator charges and petrol and it was just really difficult internet and so our, our 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 developers had to kind of figure out a way to to kind of test software without having proper like working internet and internet just being super super expensive and so we had to realize at one point hey let's let's shut the office down let's move back into the apartment and let's let's work from there so th- th- those are some of the experiences um i really want to pick apart some of those things that you said because there are lots of gems there first is the is the, the disparity between uh, the top line data that one normally read on from uh, economics times magazine uh, about africa uh, africa is growing uh, there are millions and millions of people that are using the internet uh, that are using the mobile phone everybody is uh, connected on mobile phone there is a growing middle class and there is uh, the, the, this double digit economic growth in some countries and, and policies change, changing those some of them are very very good top line data which are which is good it's good for us to raise money it's good for us to get attention to africa but what you're saying is that if you base and plan your business on that kind of number on the basis of those numbers you're gonna you're gonna fail because um, you're gonna be building for that top line data, which is not real in, in when it comes to the when it comes to the crown. It's in the sense that the way they're using the computer, the way they're using the internet, the way they're using the mobile phone is totally different. So that's what you just explained, which is quite important. But it's a bit I really want to go into, which is uh, what was the major distribution model that you have for your business when you are ideating it and when you try to validate it and and i and i asked that because you said you raised um uh, venture capital uh, fund fund and um, did you validate those distribution channel before you raised money or you just raised based on idea and and and, and seed run where you just go that go out there to test the idea first before before uh, yeah and, and you raise money then to go and test. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's somewhere in between. So we had validation on a, on, a, on a kind of a minor scale. I wouldn't say major validation and I wouldn't say we were anywhere near product market fit. But what we did know from the users that we had and, and, and kind of like we were very much on the ground. So our distribution model was kind of like we quickly realized trying to reach Nigerians just on the internet is not going to work. And so for that specific business, we had student ambassadors dotted around kind of like different universities who would collect data. Um, We kind of like built a a makeshift. It wasn't even really an application. It was an Excel spreadsheet for them to collect the data and kind of like what we had and the reception that we had via all the different channels through our ambassadors, through um, social media, um, and through word of mouth was that, hey, this is something we really like. This is something that we want to use. And so I think that was what enabled us to raise a small seed round. So, so it wasn't any kind of major money initially, um, but to raise a small seed round to say, hey, you've got something. Why not kind of like, let's see how, how it can develop. And as you know, seed rounds are, are usually a gamble anyway. Yes, was um, it? Was it? <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the business called and, what, and how much did you raise at that stage? Yeah, so it was uh, a business called Unismart, which we eventually pivoted to Study Search, which you know about, and I guess more people are familiar with. Um, and we raised initially, uh, I think it was thirty-five thousand uh, dollars. So an initial kind of like a very pre-seed. Okay, so it wasn't that. a lot and of money. Of no, no, no. It was part of an accelerator, so it was kind of like that. That was the first 
uh, capital that we, we mm. kind of put in and obviously we had put in some of our own money to get it started. What so, accelerator yeah. was that that you started with? Um, Savannah Fund Accelerator. Right. Um, in run Kenya. by Mbwana. Yeah, in Kenya. Yeah. Okay, so you had that $35,000 and you you actually valid, validated that there's a need for that for that business. The student wanted discount um, and I assume that the merchant also want to give student discount in exchange for them to have access to their data. You have that already, but the way the model itself, the the way you wanted them to interact with the product, uh, is that what you refer to as being faulty in the sense that yes. you expect a student to download an app and them to be getting updates about the different discount that is available for them. Exactly, exactly, and and so students would download the app and then. Um, kind of like still email us and then you would ask them but you know why why are you emailing like what's what's up like you know are you having issues with the app and you know it would be oh you know it takes too much of my data or um i'm not familiar with it or a merchant has asked me to show an email that says that you guys have verified me etc etc so it was just kind of like through the communication we had with our users and through the feedback loops it was something that was kind of like undeniable that almost I don't know, 80, 70 to 80% of the user base was facing facing that issue. And so, um, you know, that that was something that we, we we looked at and we said, hey, how scalable is this? And, 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 and how is this going to work? And is it going in the direction? And we had already been working on something on the side as part of our accelerator. And so we brought it to the accelerator team and said, hey, look, this is, we're working on a, a project called Study Search and we're working on, on, on Unismart and they're both for the student market. Um, and kind of like we took a decision to say, hey, look, it's probably best if you focus your attentions on uh, study search. There was a much more clearer business model. It was just clearer how it would work yeah. and how it would make money. So you didn't decide, you didn't try to actually fix the, the model uh, or, or the product itself so that you can get the student because it seems that there is a business there. There is a market. I mean, there is a, there is a, um, a merchant that wants to sell to a student and there are and there's lots of students that want to get uh, discounted product from merchants. But you had this issue with scalability because of the way the product was ideated in the first place. But what, what I'm exactly. hearing now is that you could have gone that route again and fix it, but you had an alternative, which is you're working so on I, I think, stuff. yeah, I don't think we could have fixed it. So there's another very popular business who we, we were speaking to at the time, a, a business called Deal Day. And the difference is they actually... Um, in many scenarios buy the stock from the merchants at discounted rates and so they have the, the stock already and they can sell it to their customers at a markup price our business model was based on technology and so it was based on the student making those purchases online right in order for us to show that this student has come through us and earn our commission using affiliate links etc so it's a very simple right. business model that exists around the world but because of the way technology is used in africa and and still to this day many of the e-commerce businesses uh have issues with you know paying online etc and this was way before we had kind of um uh the pay stacks that we have now and even just kind of like um even pay on delivery what it, it kind of like coincided around that time and so the bigger problem was hey we're directing loads of traffic to to different merchants we know we are because students are showing us um or maybe not loads of traffic but we're di directing some traffic to, to to merchants but how do we get paid how do we show that look this student is us and and because they were not using the the, the kind of like the 
the application to make those purchases, um, it was very, very difficult to, to kind of make any money. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so essentially the uh, so the technology so the technology issue that you have is not just from the student the product, the consumer product angle, but also the tracking from the merchant uh, perspective and being able to to uh, to to justify how much you you want to hand from the merchant. Which is, uh, I mean, I've I've actually looked at this kind of business before in Nigeria, the affiliate model, which is huge outside Africa, mm. massive. Uh, it's it's a mm. big. It's, maybe a billion dollar business across um uh, the list of sales that go through on amazon and ebay through affiliate uh, model but in africa it's very hard because a lot of the transaction even though they are e-commerce they still take place offline <laughs> and uh, the payment exactly. is not sorted so okay so you're right in the sense that for you to fix that because you are i didn't know that you are using affiliate model for that business for yeah. you to fix that, then you need to fundamentally change the product or start something new totally. But exactly. then it was easier for you to then go into something else. So talk me through study yeah. search and how you came about that and was a fundamental idea behind that business. Yeah, so um, kind of like we we were working on it as a side project, but not as a not as a platform. And so to earn extra money to kind of keep the business going and, and kind of like... Um, just have have money myself and my co-founder um who also moved back from the uk um we're helping people students with their applications to study abroad <laughs> so uh we had obviously gone through the, the system in the uk we kind of like knew how it was and we had helped a few a few family friends and and through the network we had of students already we were just helping students to apply um going abroad and we just noticed how students would would say hey we're going through agents but you know, the agents are really expensive. Um, you know, the agents don't seem to be helping us out, et cetera, et cetera. There were so many issues around it when we started helping students. And so we had like a, a so my co-founder was a designer. So he sketched out kind of like an idea of how a platform would work to solve this problem. But we we never really started building it. Um, we, were, we were kind of like focusing on, on Unismart and then we would do a bit of development on the weekends on the side as a side project. And so when we brought it to the accelerator and the guys at the accelerator and said, look, we've been working on this as a side project. Here's the issue. Um, students paying students who wants to study abroad, paying loads of money um, to, to kind of like go for an agent um, and, and not even have results guaranteed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and not knowing the process, not understanding it properly. Um, and they were like, hey, this, this just makes so much more sense in terms of what you're doing there's a clear business model you help the students get in um the students pay a small fee for your services plus you get a commission from the universities at that time we never had any relationships with any universities so we were just doing it um kind of like helping the students all our all our um kind of revenue was generated through students paying and at the time it was it was kind of like pay what you want really we're just here to help and so through that we we uh, our accelerator was like look go off spend your time building an MVP for this product, uh, come back to us and, and let's, let's, let's see where you are then. And so that's what we've done. And that's, that's how we, we pivoted from Uniswap to study search. So you had to shut down the other one and then, and then get all the team to, to work on, on, on study search. So yep. 
Solid search is quite interesting to me as well because uh, I think that's how I got to know you. Uh, you sent me an email maybe a few years ago while you were still running that business, and 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 it caught my my interest because um, I, I used to be an academic and and uh, and then part of the stuff that I was doing because as as one of the few African academic in the university that was working in the UK was um, I, I had to represent the university in in Africa, uh, particularly okay. Nigeria, to recruit students because it was very competitive to get students to apply to university in the UK. Universities in the UK spend a lot of money on marketing, travel, uh, working with agents, uh, going to exhibitions and, and talking to students. So uh, I, I did some travel uh, for that in, I think in 2011, where I was in Nigeria, uh, um, trying to get students from the University of Lagos and, and some other events, trying to motivate them to apply to our university and, 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 and come through and, and advise them in many ways. So I, I understand the complexity of that problem. And, and I've all also uh, thought about that there should be a technology platform that can make this easier because the agent uh, model has been on for years and years and years. I, I, I came to the UK um, uh, many years ago as a student through agent. Uh, I went to the agent. They told me what university I should apply to. Um, uh, and, and it was only restricted by the university that they had access to or they have relationship exactly. with. And then I paid them. Them, and then they they went through all my application stuff, and then um, and, and they submitted it on my behalf and coached me through the visa stuff, and then I got admission. And I came to the UK, and it's the same thing. It was so so uh, interesting to hear that that was the same process that people are still going through. Um, they go to an agent, and they'll be limited by the number of universities the agent has. Interesting, and and we counsel them to to apply to those universities, whether that is the best university for them or not. And I've often ideated a platform whereby students can go online uh, uh, answer very basic questions about uh, their academic um, uh, their, their interest their goal what they want to study what they want to do um, and, and the academic background and how much they, where they want to stay and the cost and everything and then the algorithm we just spawn out a few suggestions for them like a kind of university that might, they should actually go to to study that kind of uh, what, what, they, what they're looking to study or they will likely get admission to and then they can go through application process through that and and then you send that qualified leads to the university in the uk or us and this university will pay it will pay the commission when it's student pays it seems to me that that was what you were doing or is there anything different uh or, or were you doing something more than what because that was something i yeah. talked about a long time ago when i was still a, when i was still an academic but i didn't get to yeah that. yeah no definitely that's essentially what our platform done so um kind of like it was um, having having a platform for students to say, hey, well, the assumption was students would, would want to find out what the best ranking universities are um, for their course. And so our MVP product was obviously not that technical. It was really just forms that allowed us to generate leads and, and call. But uh, towards the, the kind of like um, the growth and the development of the business, our platform became even more kind of like complex. We built it out and, and kind of like we'll connect it to other university systems. So you could send your application directly to the universities through our platform, essentially missing out the agent. We also incorporated a model where um, students from 
uh, kind of like the, the university that you wanted to go to. There was a community online so you could get advice from other Nigerian students and speak to them. So there was a whole chat section, which was one of the most successful parts of, of, of the platform that we built, actually. Students interacting with each other and saying, hey, this is my experience. That's my experience. So I'm on study search and I'm looking to apply to this course. I see that you're already doing this course. What is it like? And so because one of the things we found in running a business was that um, the assumption is Nigerian students or students from uh, from overseas countries who want to go and study in Europe or America or Canada or wherever um, know what they want to do and, and have like a clear idea. And one of the things we found through running the business was that they absolutely know nothing. And so that's why they can walk into an agent's office and an agent can give them free universities to select from. And they would just select um, very, very few students. Um, and uh, usually the students who really know where they want to go to are those who come from a long tradition of families who have typically gone abroad to study. So they're like, hey, I'm just going to King's or I'm going to um, University of Florida or wherever it is. They haven't a clear idea. But a lot of the market is people who have no information. And so we built a lot of content and built a lot of tools within our platform um, and, and kind of like our team. We focused a lot on content, social media content about around making those decisions on what's important, what are the rankings. And we also had a lot of chat and communication tools for students to learn from other students. That was one of the big things for us, peer-to-peer -peer information um, and obviously building relationships before. So if you're chatting with someone who's at a university that you want to go with uh, via the Study Search students platform, and then you turn up there, you already have a friend and someone who you can say, hey, I know this guy. We've been talking on Study Search. You kind of gave me information about what, what, what I am to expect. So we saw that our business was building those type of relationships and... Um, yeah, the platform essentially allowed students to find out information about over 200 universities around the world, um, make applications directly, manage the whole process online. It seems to me that that, that what you what you're building there sounds very familiar to what I ideated um, many years ago as well about about that about that business. So, can you talk me through how you executed it and why you had to stop doing that as well and then pivot to what you are currently doing? Yeah, I guess, I guess. So what I'm currently doing is definitely less of a pivot, but we'll come to that. Um, in terms of uh, uh, study search, how we built it out was really just um, through uh, one, having a good technical team. I think our technical team um, and, our, and our developers were were kind of like really good in terms of building the platform and executing fast um, and building relationships with students. We've done a lot of things that typical agents do offline. Um so we kind of like went to the schools, we went to the fairs, et cetera. But our pitch was totally different. It wasn't like come to my office and, you know, I, I, could, I have these universities I work with. It was kind of like, hey, look, you can use our platform right now, have an experience. And so students and their parents at these fairs would have an experience using a study search platform. And we really started growing growing um, through that. We've done a lot of content and social media marketing. Um, obviously, having a limited marketing budget, we had to create um, a lot of content around education, a, a subject which is not the most exciting, but we created a lot of content around education and just built a brand, essentially. And I think that's where a lot of our growth and our distribution uh, came from. And, and, and uh, similarly, at the time, we didn't have funds to kind of like go on a, a travel mission and recruit all the top universities. And so what we used to do was just target Nigeria, um, Ghana, 
and kind of like West Africa, sometimes Kenya, because we had relationships there and it was, it was pretty much easy for us to get to and say, hey, whenever universities are having fairs, that we will use that as a time to pitch universities and show them about our platforms and try to get meetings with them. Um, and that used to happen I guess universities come once every quarter and sometimes twice every quarter. Some universities have um, kind of specific people who are based in the countries. And so we would pitch them our service and that's how we managed to sign up a lot of universities. Uh, we had relationships with major agencies as well. So kind of agencies who don't just have like five universities, but have maybe like 20, 50, 20 plus universities. And so that's how we went about um, executing um, and, and kind of like how, how, how that went was we were doing well. We got to a point where we were uh, reaching kind of like um, uh, profitability. Um, and, 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 and we were looking at the next fundraise. But one of the biggest issues that we had and, and which you know about, we, we've spoken about was the, the, the kind of um, the business model and payment cycles. And so it's all great to say, hey, look, we've got, $50,000 worth of commission coming in in seven months from now. But during those seven months, you have to you have to keep the lights on. <coughs> Bless me, excuse me. You have to keep the lights on. You have to kind of like pay salaries. You have to be able to execute on marketing plans. And, <coughs> excuse me, one of the biggest things we found from running that business was that the payment cycles were just too long for a startup company. Um, and kind of like even a, a couple thousand dollars every month rather than a, a large chunk of money um, in, in nine months was much better. And it's just the way the business model works. So universities don't pay you until three or four months after um, students are in the course and have everything has been completed. But so it's that high ticket leads, right? You, you get up to 10% of what a student pays or more. Yes, yes. And and the great thing about that was that actually running a business in Africa, you're getting paid in foreign currency. Um, and so kind of like the exchange rates, etc., was was beneficial to the business at the time. Um, however, it was kind of like a very, very long lead cycle. Our biggest thing was trying to raise money at the time to keep the business going. Uh, we were in talks to sell the business to a, a, a company, um, that kind of like already that was quite established and we were in talks with an agency as well. An agency wanted to kind of like do an aqua hire. Um, but both of those fell through. Um, and I think it was just a very why was difficult that? time. Why, why did it fall through? Um, I, I think just because of various, various different things. I think managing the process as I look back, um, maybe I was a bit inexperienced or not a bit inexperienced. I'd say very inexperienced, um, trying to kind of, um, um, yeah, be be manage that that whole process. Um, I think also there was there was skepticism of, hey, this is you know Nigeria, and I feel I feel like ultimately I feel like a lot of what the businesses wanted to do or what they wanted to do was kind of like hire me and and then maybe just hire me and one or two of our of our team members, um, and just switch it into their own brand totally, um, and and kind of like um, the money the. the the figures that that was was spoken about weren't weren't you know good enough to for me to to say hey look that that makes sense it just didn't make sense at the time um right yeah okay. so 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 we didn't we didn't we didn't go ahead with that and um i guess the business was still running we still had a few customers to service we still had some universities and so um we saw that through and at the end 
myself and my, my co-founders and some of the key people who were working in the business said, hey, look, the big vision was this, to be the biggest platform in Africa. Um, we're really struggling at the moment, you know, um, is this something that we can we, we can do? And, and we said, no, it's not. And so we had that conversation with our investors also and, and decided that, hey, it's time to move on. So the biggest so, challenge was the, the payment circle um, and the cash yeah. flow. The business itself yeah. is, is, is valid. You have customers that are happy to pay you uh, and you have a lot of students that want to apply. Or, or exactly. is there any other fundamental reason why that business couldn't go on? Because I'm yeah, thinking I think, about the agents. The, the traditional yeah. agents are now using online. They have more overhead. They have, they have to pay for offices. They are, and, and they have the same payment cycle, right? Yeah. What is it that is fundamental about this that couldn't make it pass? Yeah. Past I, I think the yeah. Stage? I think the fundamental thing was is expectation, um, and I think it's a very entrenched, it's a very entrenched kind of uh, business. A lot of the agencies that we speak about that are successful um, have been running for years and years and years, and are run by people who are super super experienced in terms of kind of like the education market and having relationships with universities and and being able to to kind of market. Even a lot of, of the agencies, although they're not online businesses, they were set up um, with venture capital or at least some level of funding. And then um, I guess the most important thing was expectation. Um, the expectation for ourselves and our investors, hey, do you want to? And one of one of our investors actually said this to me and, and, and this kind of like kicked off the chain. Are you trying to kind of like um, run a lifestyle business where you make a bit of money? Um, because this is essentially what a lot of the agencies are doing and or agents are doing. You make some money, you know, it's good. Is there real scalability in terms of the technology of this? How How scalable can it become? Um, and, and I guess at the time, that's one of the things that stuck out in my head. And I said, look, um, yes, there is a growing middle class. Um, but hey, I guess the, the real goal and the real aim is to um, to actually have universities within Africa that can service and, and provide high quality education for um, African youth, as opposed to Africans always having to travel abroad. Um, and at the emergence of Andela, I think there was the African um, Leadership University. I think it is based in in South Africa and, and Seychelles. They have a few, a few, um, they have a few campuses. But I already saw that there was actually a change in trend. So the change in trend of Africa providing high quality education for Africa um, was a trend that I saw. And I don't think you know university African studying abroad is going to change anytime soon. Um, the numbers are still still kind of like you know strong on that, um, but it just wasn't something that I I, I felt that we should have continued doing, uh, considering the expectations of our investors and our initial expectations. And so, yeah, yeah. So that, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what you are doing now. And there are two yeah. uh, uh, conversation I want to explore here. One is oh. it's a total. <laughs> uh, shift from mm. what you've done before from uh, student mm. discount platform to student uh, um, to um, study search platform now you moved into uh, what I would call an entertainment technology platform or advert actually what I would call an advert and uh, a marketing tech where using entertainment as part of the whole thing you moved there which is totally different but I want to pursue another conversation around your mind shift from 
uh, building a business that is um, that is dependent on raising money with a big vision of becoming uh, uh, the biggest platform in Africa or, or, or multi or a billion dollar business to actually embracing uh, bootstrap maybe lifestyle business as well and 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 not seeing lifestyle business as a derogatory term but but mm. just building a successful profitable business so talk me mm. through how you came to that uh to to having the the idea itself and how you came to embrace uh uh, uh get winning yourself off a vc funding uh drug and and embracing building <laughs> I love that one. VC funded drug. That's 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 funny. Yeah. Um <laughs> I guess it was a total shift in mindset. And I think being like I've always run businesses since I was young, I guess um my my job with with Rocket Internet was one of the only kind of jobs I've had. Um in terms of like uh, employed by other people. And so I really came to a stage as a person where I was just thinking, Hey, what, what can I do that I really enjoy? That's exciting. That's not about, Hey, I need to raise money. And you know, the whole kind of like, I call it the echo chamber of startups uh, because more, more startups are, are failed than are successful. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like, there's the whole content around startups, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, all the advice. And I just got to a stage where I was really frustrated with the whole process and, you know, I said, look, I want to do something that I really, really uh, enjoy and, and something that I'm passionate about. And I, and I feel like I, I don't need to raise any money and I can just kind of get going straight away. Um, and so obviously, as I said, that social media is something that I was super interested in, uh, in running um, Unismart and uh, and Study Search, We'd use loads of social influencers, social media influencers um, to kind of distribute and tell the story and spread the message we had paid for some we had built relationships with others um and kind of like as i said education wasn't the most interesting subject and so we had to build content around that to attract customers and to get people interested and i feel we've done a, a very good job of of that at the time and so naturally social media that was an area i was looking at and i said hey look we're paying these social media influencers and i'll see some of our competitors paying them and i'll see them doing stuff with loads of different other brands and i just generally genuinely enjoyed and liked their content and so it was a natural progression for me to say hey look what can i do around this space this social media influencer marketing space what, what can I do around it? And it was very, very simple. I knew that there would be loads of other businesses, small businesses at the time that want to use social media uh, influencers to, to build their business in, in Nigeria. And um, it kind of like was a very much, it was, it was kind of like Wild Wild West. You'd just DM them or something on, on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever platform it is. Sometimes you would even just tweet it out to them and say hey i want you to do this promotion for me can you do it and and then maybe they might take like two weeks two weeks to get back to you you know they have loads of people messaging them and so I, the first thing I, I said to myself was we can bring order to this and i actually started with a few of the team members that um so kind of like a, we had a growth hacker really really uh intelligent marketing guy young guy but he he kind of like really understood the whole the whole phase and so me and him actually just started working on it together straight away um and at the time it wasn't called hype buzz i can't remember what it was called but we just said let's work with a few social media influencers let's pitch them and say hey look we can help you get organized we can help you uh bring in more brand deals etc um and 
let's let's work together. And so that's how, that's how I started off. Hype was. So how did uh, how does the product work when you when you started it then? So uh, Zoom was a platform. You you go to this uh, influencer and say, hey, I can help you yeah. get deals uh, or that you can promote, and then you get paid through this platform, and then you work with us. Yeah. How does it work? So it totally yeah. So it totally wasn't a platform, and that was a deliberate. Um, that was a deliberate decision by by myself. I just looking back on on the different businesses the the engineers were always paid the best they were just super expensive um even even though there was a whole conversation around engineers not getting paid enough etc etc in nigeria um i remember there was a debate about that at one time but essentially the engineers within the organization they can go somewhere else and get a job tomorrow so they cost the most money and second of all um just learning from the amount of times we pivoted the product changed different things on the product um I just thought I do not want to start with um, a platform. Like it's, you, you're not just going to come into the market in Nigeria and say, "Hey, do this on a platform." And so we just started the business normally through emails, um, spreadsheets, Interesting. kind of like using different ad hoc software, um, and and that's how the business was started. Can, can, can so we was, pause there? Can we pause and just take a moment on this particular lesson that uh, what yeah. you just said? Now is a big lesson. I often come across a lot of entrepreneurs who are the beginning of ideating their business, and they get stuck around this thing about technology platforms and, and and sophisticated stuff that they think in their head is the way this product should be done and yeah. and then they forget some of the stuff that you and then they don't know some of the stuff that you mentioned about the fact that it's not everybody that is on the, uh, online that is using uh, that 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 is uh using it regularly and it's time that is using it uh, online technology regularly in africa that is like that can afford to pay through it and then and then most mobile app in africa are deleted after after they download it they get stuck in that and they feel that their business cannot take off until they build a platform but what you did which is something i used to talk a lot to to a lot of entrepreneurs around around a program called uh the also bootcamp where um it's an online um uh, education for for entrepreneurs and one of the key things I keep talking about is your MVP doesn't have to be a technology stuff. It could be a simple thing as WhatsApp, where you're able to connect to the to the customer through WhatsApp and aggregate them that way, and then you can engage with them. So well, that's what you did here, which is, I just want to build a business. I want to solve a problem for this influencer, and I want to be able to get them av- available to people that want to um, uh, get a service to promote their own uh, product. So, and you just build emails, basically. So it doesn't have to be one sophisticated technology and that's what you did even though you are tech savvy you have access to technologies people that can do it but you decided to go the other way mm. it's it's the whole um echo chamber around startups so startup venture capital there's 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 tons and tons of money out there and so a lot of the times if you bring a business to an investor that has no kind of techno the, the technical basis is not immediately present you cannot raise money. And so a lot of people build platforms, not because they need to build the platform, but because they want to make money and because they want, sorry, because they want to raise money and say, Hey, we're a tech company, you know, but, but you know, I don't, I don't, there's a fundamental tech. reason for that though, because I, mm. I, wearing here, when in my heart as an investor, right? So the VC mm. <laughs> uh, tech VCs want to invest in scalable businesses. Um, exactly. I mean, the, it, it, there are two things. There's one, 
that you want to invest in startup and startups equal equals to growth and scalable uh, model uh, that does that that can scale without having too much overhead and and your overhead is not corresponding uh, um, it's not corresponding to, to to your scale so you you, you can have it and three thousand people can take over the world or less than that that that's what this is because this is very very risky uh, assets um, investment assets class where exactly. you want to you you want to bet on companies that that if they might they might lose they might fail but if they win they they're, they're going to be the return is going to be very very big and outsized that is why uh, a VC will always want to ask for that technology bit of it because most of the time scale is almost equal to technology it's not always but technology uh, enables you to scale quickly and uh, you use technology to scale um uh, quickly as well, so uh, that's why when it, when when a startup pitch to a VC, it's okay if you want to be selling rice and beans to League Oceans, uh, you can still make a lot of money uh, by having a store in uh, Lagos Island Market. Uh, but that cannot scale if you are not using a bit of the innovative or technology to make it work so that you can you can serve that rice and beans to everybody in Africa. Uh, but then there is another argument where everybody sees startup and um, small business and any business idea from the prison of it has to be technology platform it has to be and not all businesses are startups mm. or, or technology startups and i think that's the argument yeah. we're, trying, we're trying to make here but no i 100 agree to, i 100 agree with you doctor and i think um my my perspective is less from the investor's perspective because there are different types of investors so there's investors that invest in startups there are investors that invest in t- traditional businesses I, I know many of my friends uh run kind of traditional media businesses even record labels and they've received uh money investment to go and do that my, my point is that the accessibility of of technology and investment and it's not from the investors it's from the the founders themselves you know there's i believe there's two types of um kind of like technology businesses i feel there's the the truly technical businesses truly truly technical businesses who are doing uh kind of like data scientifics etc and there's other businesses that have a layer of technology on top of it on top of a traditional model and maybe maybe i'm i'm, I'm simplifying it a bit um here but a lot of businesses and especially at the time i was running my startup and i think even now fall into that category they're a typical business they add a layer of technology on top of it because of the narrative because of the story of hey we're going to make this scalable True. uh it turns into rather than really understanding the business that they're in and how they make money they focus on building out a platform with features that they think will be useful as opposed to understanding the business and so for me it was just a case of hey i'm always going to think with the the mindset of a of a startup and say look i would like this to be as scalable as possible but that doesn't mean that you have to go in building a platform it means you go in and learn the business and understand it True. and and kind of make make a note of things that could be infinitely improved by technology hey this would really really work if there was a application to solve this problem or there was a feature to solve this problem and you almost go through the business and you're learning the business and the way it's done and then you're also making um notes of, of what could be improved and that's the way i, I decided to go into it that, that, that's true actually and, and i will also add that uh, not all businesses are supposed to be scalable uh, and not all successful businesses are scalable either and and scalable businesses not and not all scalable businesses uh, uh become successful uh 
although when you scale a business well, then it should automatically be successful, but not all scalable business become successful. And I, and I see a lot of looking down on traditional businesses by startup a, a, a community and, and, and also investors when we look down on the, when we give feedback to a startup and say, hey, your business is, um, you're building a, a, a lifestyle business instead of a, a startup. Uh, a scalable business and which sometimes can appear to be like um, uh, like talking down on people uh, or, or, or making lifestyle business to be uh, inferior but heck uh, I mean that, that's so wrong uh, um, the True. biggest business in Africa uh, are not, uh, started off as lifestyle business uh, uh, Dango Day's business was a lifestyle business and it has one of the biggest business in Africa so let's talk about this uh, hyperbus and, and the problem is solving uh, for who is solving it for and 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 how you see uh, the space shipping out uh, since you've gone into it yeah, um, so HypeBuzz, HypeBuzz is a platform that connects or service that connects influencers with um, brands, big and small, to create campaigns. That's essentially what the brands want to do. The brands want to create campaigns. The influencers want to monetize their content. So fundamentally, that is what we do. Um, in doing that, we help both sides. And so I would say there's the management side of, of, of uh, things where a few of the select influencers, kind of like top influencers within our network, we work with them on helping them improve the quality of their content. So that means providing um, equipment, providing editors, providing ideas. Um, we help them delve into their content and understand kind of like what's the best content that they're putting out, how do they grow what they're doing and, and provide growth strategies for them to use and execute on. Um, and obviously manage management and connecting them with brands. And so on the, on, on the influencer side, that's what we do for a select influencer, a select few influencers that we feel are really, really strong um, and kind of like have the, the largest presence. Um, on the brand side, a lot of what we've been doing is, of course, connecting brands with influencers, but education as well, teaching brands and, and not just brands, teaching agencies that brands work with how to fundamentally use influencer marketing. And so just a quick example of that is typically what we saw in the initial stages and um Kind of like what we done as a business when we first started was, hey, I have this content. I'm going to look for someone with the highest numbers on social media, whatever platform it may be. They just have like a large following. And I'm just going to give them this content and ask them to post it. So it's typically using an influencer or, or content creator as uh, a billboard. You've got loads of people that follow you. And so I'll just give you this content. Can you post it? Can you uh, make noise about it. And what we saw was that engagement was super, super low mm. um, because the audience of content creators followed them for a specific reason. So if I follow you because you make great content about food and you make loads of new cooking videos, if I send you a, a video to post about my new shoes, that's not the reason I don't, I don't follow you for fashion. So if, if, if I have a, a brand of shoes and I say, can you post these shoes? It, it just totally takes away from the content you create and your audience usually don't like it mm. most of the time because it doesn't fit in with what they are actually following you for. Yeah. And so what we found was, hey, the education for brands and agencies, let's get a bit more creative. Let's let's say, hey, how can you speak to your audience about our product in a way that connects with your audience and, and has, uh, has the best return on investment for us? And so a lot of what we've been doing with brands as well has been a lot of education and, and helping them understand how to um, 
use influencers and how to how to really uh, maximize influencer marketing. And so essentially, that's what we that's what we do. So how do you make money? Okay, so yeah, it's it's very simple. We make money um, from commissions. Um, it's a, it's another commission business model, um, and we also have uh, quite a few brands now of recent who have come on uh, retainers as a typical advertising agency model. Um, who've come on retainers and say, "Hey, look, we want to we want to use more influencers. We want to understand influencer marketing more. Can you work for us? Can you help us build out our kind of influencer marketing arm um, as influencer marketing is growing." Okay. in Nigeria so yeah. it, so a brand would come to you and say we have this product and we want to use influencer marketing as one of the uh, influencer marketing as one of the ways in which we want to promote it so they come to you yeah. they they put like um hundred thousand dollars said that's that's what is in our budget to 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 use this as a channel and then you go out there and, and speak to the influencers in your network uh, and and ones out there that align with their brand or their message can be uh, their 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 current message can align with the with the, with the brand that you're trying to promote, and then you pay those influencers uh, uh, and you take a commission off what you're paying them. Is that how it works? Yeah. So we we pay the influencers um, depending on the project. Um, a lot of the times, project that we projects that we put together. So we also do typical business development and and kind of like pitch brands hey here's an idea for this campaign that you're launching etc etc and so it all depends on on kind of like how that that comes through we will usually either take a uh commission from influencers for helping them manage if it's something that we've brought ourselves then we're paying the influencers and the brands are clients so there's been a lot of um buzz around um, local uh, African content becoming so big, uh, uh, starting from the music and Nollywood and lots of breakout stars on, 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 on YouTube and Instagram. And how, how do you see that shaping um, what you're currently doing? Because it, it seems like uh, there are two ways in, in which one can view it and I, I'm interested to know what you think. Uh, one is um, this breakout uh, stars from other channel. We make, we mean that there will be loads of influencers uh, which will reduce some of the impact and power of, 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 exist of, of, of all, everyone because uh, in our, everybody now has two. Uh, maybe instead of having one person, instead of having somebody who has... 10 million followers, you now have um, people having um, less than that and there are, and there are lots of um, breakout stars. And, and there's another angle to look at it, which is um, that channel has created more opportunity for people to engage with influencers, for influencers to be able to interact more and make more messages coming out and the power of the niche, which means that if I am a, if I am an influencer that talk about one particular obscure topic, uh, let's say uh, 19th century Yoruba history. That's what people come to listen to me for. And I'm super niche on that. I mean, those people that come to me, they want to listen to me on that kind of topic. So they, uh, I can create a, I can easily create a tribe. So any, any, any brand that want to align with me, maybe somebody wants to release a movie about Shango can, can, can come to me and I can promote that movie because, uh, <laughs> because I'm an influencer to this particular tribe of people that listen to me talk about the 19th century Yoruba history. Um, which, which of the views do you think? I mean, I've painted two mm-hmm. potential uh, views. Here. Mm. Which of them do you think is the way this uh, the space is panning out, and which one will have the yeah. most impact uh, as you go forward? Yeah, 
I think I think it's it's a bit of both. I think if we look at um, if we look at Africa in general, we're always um, in terms of technology uh, adoption, etc. Um, it's still the same issues that. I faced in the other businesses that I spoke about that we're facing in Nigeria today. So access to data. I know a lot of the platforms, YouTube, Instagram, um, or YouTube, Facebook, etc., are doing a lot about trying to make their platforms more accessible in terms of data. So I think when you look at that and you look at the wider so, context... Sorry, when you I say think, data, you mean internet uh, data, yeah, not just data. Internet, in, yeah, yeah not, not just data. Yeah, sorry, not data as in information, um, data as in internet data. So... Yeah. so internet the internet actually being able to access the internet Um, I know a lot of these platforms are doing things around it but that poses issues for content creators themselves in order to create their content upload their content interact with their users so I guess the two biggest things that we're seeing that is super super positive is one yes there are more people that want to become content creators some of the content creators and influencers that we work with for example a a Miraji um, a Bolly Lama uh lola oj some of these guys that we work with they've been able to make a viable business and a viable brand from being content creators and influencers and so what that has done is i would say maybe like they're like 1.0 or 2.0 they've been able to show others and say hey look we can create a business and be a brand and make money from being content creators and influencers and so i think if you look in other parts of the world there's a tons and tons of content creators for all different sorts of niches because people know it's a viable model um, whereas in Nigeria and Africa specifically only of recent are people starting to understand that hey creating content telling a story building a personal brand um, using my talent on social media is, is a viable business model I can earn money and reinvest and continue to do this definitely more uh, niche kind of a uh, content creators and influencers emerging but I, I do believe it will take more time more development uh better access to internet so so you, you like, don't see any risk of diluting the impact of of, of, of this influencer with uh more with low barrier of entry of more influencers coming to the scene because there are more stars being uh, coming up because there's no great there, there are no great gatekeepers like in maybe 20 years ago yeah with TV or the, I don't, I don't really houses. see yeah. yeah, no, I don't see the risk because I believe um, the the cream rises to the top, as they say. And I, I just believe when people come into it and say, hey, I'm just in this because I, I want to, you know, I don't know, make some money or whatever it is, or I want to be popular. For some people, it work. For others, it won't. For those who, who it doesn't work for, they have to go and find a day job. Um, and for those who it does work for, hey, they're they're able to to continue pushing it forward. So I think it kind of evens itself out. There's a low barrier to entry everywhere. um, And I guess kind of like everybody's their own content creator. Um, We all do it. It just depends at what level. Um, A lot of people have their own social media accounts. You share content from your life, on your Snapchat or whatever it may be. You share your own personal content. So we're all creating content. Some are just really good at it and their content is really wanted and they're interesting and they they're fun to watch and others not so much um and so i think that that kind of problem evens itself out it sorts itself out um so i wouldn't say i wouldn't say it's it's it's, it's a bad thing I, I don't think there's anything bad around it yeah that, that makes sense but but let's talk about what how you see this um space uh shipping out into the future um uh, and again to 
I wanted to delve into how you see your business actually and evolving and because I know you're on a journey here, you're just tapping into something and, and, and how do you see this shape out uh, into maybe in the nearest one or two years? But also talk uh, briefly about uh, the business now compared to the other two businesses that you've done in terms of profitability, uh, success factors that you're looking at and, 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 and the ease or, or, or or, or, or the fulfillment that you that you derive from doing this business as against the other two ones yeah. that you've done. I know they are too far apart. One you raise yeah. money, this one you didn't, and and then. But I just wanted to talk into those two things. Yeah. So I, I guess how I see the space panning out is that micro content, which is a lot of what we deal with. So we're not we're not dealing with content creators who create like long form movies that go into to cinemas, etc. Micro content and and kind of like. Um, that space specifically, the consumption is is uh, is the numbers and and the data around that show a rapidly growing trend. Most people are consuming micro content, three, four, five minute videos. If you look in Africa and you look in Nigeria specifically, because of the internet issues, people are more likely to consume this sort of content. So the the, the funny videos on, on Instagram, et cetera, the funny people on Snapchat or whatever it may be, Twitter. This is how people are consuming the content. So in terms of where the space is growing, going, I think it's, it's only going in a place of growth. It's, it's, it's an upward, upward trajectory um, we're moving in. And I think that's exciting for us as a business um, and exciting for me personally. Um, and I guess brands and through the education and the relationships that we have, brands are becoming more aware that this is a viable option of, of marketing. And this is um, and becoming more flexible in terms of, hey, let's not do something traditional. Let's do something really new that no one's done before. Let's do a collaboration between a content creator, influencer and our brand. They're being a lot more flexible. So generally speaking, the, 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 the market and the space is growing and we're excited about that. Um, and I'm excited about that personally. Um, in terms of the second question, in, in terms of the business, so only this year are we actually launching our, our platform. Um, so our, our online service that works with, um, that allows influencers and brands to connect online. And so we've been running for the last two and a half years. Um, we've been running a total offline model and we built for, so over the last six months, we've been testing internally, um, a platform that we've built. So our MVP and it's working great. We've had some of our, the brands that we work with on the beta platform. So they're being able to use it and, um, we've tweaked it and we'll be launching in the next few weeks actually. Um, and so good. that's the next phase. That's the next phase of growth for, for our business. And we feel that, Hey, look, now, once we have the platform, we can actually look at some of those opportunities outside Africa, uh, sorry, outside Nigeria specifically. Um, and also we believe the platform allows us to connect influencers that have a specific, uh, what do you call it? A specific demographic, which is Nigerian. So there's tons of influencers in America or in, in the UK or other parts of Europe, even places like Ukraine who have large African audiences. And so for them in the region that they're in, sometimes it's more difficult for brands that wanting to work with uh, influencers that cater to that market, right? Because not every brand is trying to reach that market. They're probably trying to reach the match, mass market of, of the region that they're in. Um, however, we've seen an appeal from these influencers to say, hey, I, I want to do more in Nigeria. I've got a large Nigerian following. I've got a large black following 
I want to do something here. What brands can I connect with? And so we're seeing brands ask the same question. Hey, we're doing something. We want to connect with um, kind of like Africans in a diaspora um, because we know that they, they, they have an influence on purchasing decisions that happen in Nigeria. So how can we connect with those influences? And so the platform is actually the next phase of growth for us. Um, and we're, we're excited, excited about that. And then in terms of the third question, in terms of how, how it is for me running the two different businesses, what the experiences are like, I think the, the biggest um, thing for me is just the, the excitement and the joy and, and the flexibility that I have um, in, in running, running the business without any venture capital, um, without the pressure to say, hey, we need to grow X amount every single month, of course any entrepreneur and any business person wants to grow. Um, I think when you have growth targets set by an industry of, hey, you should be growing 7% month for month, I think sometimes it messes up with the excitement and the psychology of, of, of kind of like building a business. And so for me, I'm really in a, in a fluid place. Um, we have a partnership with um, a YC venture comp uh, funded company. Um, and that, that partnership is, is working well at the moment. And, and to be honest with you, I, I'm kind of like, I, I work on the business from a very top level um, and we have a great team of people who um, who work work on, on a day-to-day -day on the business and, and, and it's going really well and, it, and it's exciting and, and I enjoy it. And I think that, that's the most important thing. I think um, I always say being an, for me, being an entrepreneur is like, uh, is more likened to being an artist. Um, you're creating, you're, you're, you're setting things from scratch and making things happen. And I think there's something very artistic to it. And just like artists, when they're not in the right frame of mind or they're not in the right space or they don't feel free, I think it's very hard to create and very hard to, to build in a space where you're not free and there's like loads of rules and regulations. And so for me, this is the biggest difference from running a venture-funded company and being involved in you know the whole uh, startup world, which is something I deliberately took myself away from. No startup conferences. I kind of had don't want to be in the echo chamber of everybody telling you to do x you know um and so for me that's that 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 was a big thing um in, in starting up uh hype buzz and so yeah that's that's really, that's really good that sounds yeah. really really super good it seems that you're you're really you found a very good place and you found a very good business you're enjoying it and um and um and and it's so interesting to see your journey from uh uh coming with assumptions that was really dealt with in, in a bad way in the market and then evolving into a business that is actually fulfilling uh, uh, real good needs. Now, I, I just want to ask some of the last questions around uh, some of the um, stars that you have on your platform or some of the uh, influencers that you have. Um, you talk about, are they mostly comedians or do you have some existing or your traditional celebrities who are like actors or, or, or I think you have footballers as well. Um, so I want yeah. to talk to how you get those kind of people. Uh, is it that they approach you or you, or you actually do business development? You go to them and say, hey, the way you've been managing yeah. your influencer marketing uh, stuff is not ideal. I can help you do better. Yes, it's a mixture of both. So um, Colony Digital is, is kind of like an extension of, of um, or, or I would say, yeah, it's an extension or sister company to, to Hype Buzz and specifically deals with 
high-profile clients, so footballers specifically, um, doing the same thing, connecting them with brands, helping them manage their brand image. And so the synergy works because it's the same thing. So although it's two different brand names, it's essentially doing the same thing in the same space. Um, And so we've been able to work with kind of like some very high-profile uh, footballers who we've been working with for some time and to answer the question it's, it's a mixture of both it's a mixture of relationships and doing good work I think when you do good work and, and kind of like people see um, the talent that you've been working with um, for a while and they they see them growing and they see progression I think naturally um, you know influencers content creators even celebrities are, are attracted to the brand and say hey look I'm having this problem. Can you work with with me? Can you help me? And I think um, for us and for for me specifically, when I sit down with with our team who actually kind of like do the recruitment of influencers, it's kind of like who's really doing something interesting? Who's doing something different? Um, We have influencers that are not just comedians. We have influencers in different spaces, influencers who are comedians. I guess the comedic market and attraction is just the biggest. I think they create the most viral content because everybody wants to laugh. (laughs) And Mm. so... Their, their content is just the most viral by nature of what they do. But we work with influencers in uh, fashion. We work with influencers who, uh, or content creators who kind of like just love art and love to take great pictures and and and, and create short little videos. Um, we work with influencers and content creators who love food. And so we have a few niches that we think are are, are really key in terms of brand attraction and in terms of growth and so and so that's it's a mixture of both kind of like us going out there um and 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 finding people that we really like to work with and also people coming to us and content creators and brands coming to us and saying hey look we think we think you can help us we like what you're doing with such and such and so that's that's how it works at the moment super interesting Super interesting. I want to end the podcast by asking you some series of fire and questions um Okay. And um, just one short answer to them and, and okay. hopefully get some insight from you on that. Uh, what is your okay. biggest business pain point at the moment? Oh, hiring. <laughs> yeah. So getting the right uh, talent and, and, and hiring. Is yeah. it hiring them or keeping or, or keeping talent? It's, it's in in Nigeria specifically, it's hiring them. Um, it's, 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 it's tricky finding the right people. Um, yeah, it's just difficult. It seems to be the, uh, a lot of um, answer that I get for this question from quite a number yeah. of entrepreneurs. W- what is your number one growth metric? Number one growth metric would be uh, so brand collaborations, we call them. So, how many times we've brought together um, a brand and an influencer. Right. Okay. So you have to sign up both of them to make it work. So you you can have a brand, but if you don't have the right influencer for them, then the deal is not. The How do you monetize? Exactly. You can have a you can have an influencer if you don't get them the right brand, and they're gonna slip through, and they're gonna they're not gonna be happy with you. Exactly. Exactly. Which book are you reading at the moment? Hmm. Funnily enough, the book that I'm reading currently, or I wouldn't say reading, the book that I'm listening to is is Kevin Hart's um, biography. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That should be a funny one, right? Yeah. It is a funny one, and it's quite it's quite inspiring as well. You know, for someone who used to work in in a Nike store and kind of like saying, "Hey, look, I'm going to be one of the biggest entertainers in the world." And I just went to his show yesterday in London. Uh, for my brother's birthday and it was really really cool listening to the 
the audio book and, and, and seeing it as well and kind of like hearing the backstory, really, really super cool. Um, I've read other loads of tech books, but right now this, this is the book I'm enjoying the most. That's great. That's great. Which business is getting you excited at the moment apart from yours? It's um, getting me excited. Getting me excited. I think uh, I have to be I'll just I'll probably say paystack, yeah. In in Nigeria specifically, yeah. Right. I think it's just a I think they're cool and uh I just think they the way they've gone about doing stuff, it looks really, really, really cool. And I just think they're solving a fundamental problem uh for everybody, but in in a in a cool, nicely designed way, you know. Yeah. True, true. That's true, that's true. Right, it's great having you on the show, Frederick. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation, your journey, your insights, and the learnings. And, and I, I, mean, I believe a lot of people uh, um, uh, listening to this show will find us super interesting as well. So thanks for coming to the show. Thank you for having me, Dotson. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com you've been listening to building the future podcast by dalton these are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the african future and you'll be able to hear all their stories for more sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com our revolution will be televised Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E S T A R T A dot com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.